People who make the forum what it is, about the things that matter to them. Today we have with us, I'm so glad you're here too, uh, X-Star Bash, uh, who, Hello. your actual name is, is Jeff, um, but uh, I want you to explain briefly what the heck X-Star Bags means, and I know it normally uh, is accompanied by a visual aid. So I want you to, yeah. do the best you can, without the visual aid, explaining why the heck your name is X-Star Bags. Uh, okay, so when I was in uh, high school, I guess I was probably a senior when this happened. Um, I went to a high school that I guess, I mean, it wasn't like an inner city terrible school or anything, but it was one of those schools that's sort of um, weak, generally. It was, it was public school, you're saying? Yeah, it was public school. <laughs> in other words, um, so uh, yeah, so in the cafeteria one day we noticed that um, one of the trash cans that um, you were meant to empty your your trays into had been replaced with a different trash can, which I I guess had been used for a different purpose at one point um, for storing some type of. Uh, bags beyond the required amount of bags because someone had written on it uh, X-Tar bags. <laughs> and um, I just thought it was pretty... F- I actually thought that kind of summed up my high school experience that someone who worked for the school um, did not know how to spell the word extra. And so I took that on as my uh, internet handle and I've been using that ever since for Geez, over a decade now. Do you ever wish that your internet handle was like edgier or more cool or dark and brooding or something you could use in D and D? Um, not really, because there's a couple advantages. One is it's a pretty good story. So when someone asks me about <laughs> that, it's never like, "Oh, this is my D and D character when I was 14 and just identified with him so much." It's uh, there's that, and then the other thing is. It's uh, definitely unique, so I never have to worry about it being taken in any website or forum or online game. Now, wait a minute, Jeff. Was it taken on Xbox 360? Because isn't your Xbox 360 tag uh, surplus bags or something? It was taken by me because when I got... I, I had XTAR bags on the original Xbox, and then when I got a 360, like, I had... Oh, yeah, here's what it was. I let my Xbox Live account lapse because I didn't use it anymore. And then when I got the 360 and wanted to use it again, couldn't, like, transfer it to my new Xbox or something. Okay, so it's somewhere, X-Star Bags, the Xbox 360 tag is languishing unused. Yeah, you could probably go look up my old uh, Phantom Dust stuff. Uh, now, you uh, you were out there in... Oh, so I want to I tell you... Uh, I don't think I've ever confessed this in public. I've only recently started telling this to friends because I've only recently remembered it. But you reminded with your you reminded me with your X Star Bag story. I used to be uh, when I used to play D and D. And this was in high school, so you know I was that age. I wasn't some dumb. I was a dumb kid, but I was an older dumb kid. I was an older. I was old right. enough that I should know better. I was once putting together a whole folder uh, for all the players for my campaign, my D&D campaign. 
uh, and it had stuff about the races and the cities and all that campaign stuff that the players should know. And I put it in a folder, and I put stickers on the front of the folder for everyone that said campaign info, and that was I-M-F-O, like information, because <laughs> you want to give your players information information yeah like you want to inform them and i i did this on several different folders so it wasn't a typo i couldn't use the excuse that oh it was a typo and it was handwritten anyway and i remember handing this out to the players one of them just looking at me with astonishment saying did you really do you really think this is right do you understand what you have done here (laughs) me not even really if for some reason it was just in my head is yeah it's information you inform someone of something uh, so that's kind of like an X star bag. So I could have been the guy, the poor janitor at your school one day, who actually writes X star bags on a trash. Yeah, bag. but you know, even if you were a teenager, you were still a kid. <laughs> I do have that excuse. Played by an institution of learning. <laughs> so I feel like that's still not as bad. <laughs> uh, so you're in Pennsylvania. Uh, I want to tell you two reasons that I love. Three reasons that I love Pennsylvania. And then I want to hear from you what it's like living there. Okay. Uh, reason number one, uh, I there are a few people I know there, including Mike Cathcart, uh, my friends Lynn and Megan, who are from Pennsylvania and live out here in, in Los Angeles. Uh, the people I know from Pennsylvania are some of the most awesome people in the world, <clears throat> very close friends of mine. That's one reason I love Pennsylvania. Another reason I love Pennsylvania is I've done a few cross-country drives in my life, and uh, including stretches from Little Rock to Boston. And the stretch of that drive is just forever, but the most beautiful, striking part of that drive was going through Pennsylvania. So my yeah, my little time, I just remember it, like suddenly feeling like I was in this lovely rural area because uh, Pennsylvania is kind of like a long state, and there's very scenic parts of it. And so the third reason I love Pennsylvania, and it reminds me of this, is I just saw that train movie that Tony Scott did called Unstoppable, which is all set in Pennsylvania, and it's lovely. Like, it seems to me Pennsylvania is a very aesthetically pleasing place to live with great people. Is that true? Well, as far as the aesthetics go, I think that that's the kind of thing that's probably harder to appreciate in a place that you're from. Mm-hmm. Um, because I actually think, like, I think most of the people I know, and also myself, tend to think that Pennsylvania is a little bit boring um, aesthetically. Like, I really like um, traveling because I get to see other places which I usually think are cooler looking than Pennsylvania. Um, but it's probably because I'm just used to these, like, this kind of trees that are everywhere and stuff. Um, and there are some very some very scenic um, areas out in the countryside. Yeah, it's okay. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's the most beautiful place or anything. Is everyone in Pennsylvania as cool as you and Mike Cathcart and my friends Lynn and Megan? No, almost <laughs> no one is. There are Actually, jerks there. I don't believe this. There are actual jerks in Pennsylvania. Well, here's the thing. You mentioned three people, not counting me. Mm-hmm. Two of them moved to L.A. So <laughs> the, the people around here that are pretty cool usually aren't inclined to stick around. Um, yeah, one of the things I actually notice every time I go anyplace else is that the people are way nicer. <laughs> and then as soon as I come back, I'm, like, hitting the face with how, how big jerks most of the people here. 
Now, I understand that there, that Pennsylvania, like I, in my head, because I've never really been to either place, I just sort of conflate Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. They're the big cities in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, do you live in either of those? I live in a suburb of Philadelphia. Okay, and so every, so M. Night Shyamalan, he's like the ambassador from Philadelphia to the rest of the world. Is that right? Uh, I didn't endorse that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, um, yeah, that's, I'm not sure that that's a, a plus or a minus having M Night Shyamalan. Actually, I can tell you this. Mm-hmm. Do you recall? Um, <laughs> so I'm sure you do. Uh, a certain M Night Shyamalan movie called Signs. Oh, how could I forget? Exactly. Um, well, that took place uh, allegedly in a um, place called Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which, as you will recall. Um, was depicted as a super rural, like, Amish almost type place. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually lived in that county at the time, and it's really different from that. Like, uh, parts of it are almost inner city. And, in fact, in some of the shots in that movie where, like, they, like, loaded up the truck to go to town to get a pizza slice, the only pizza place in 40 miles, um, he had to, like, crop out whole shopping centers and <laughs> That's um, cheating. Wait, so you're saying that M. Night Shyamalan is not entirely straightforward about Pennsylvania and Philadelphia? Yeah, I know. The thing, the weird thing is he's such a upstanding filmmaker otherwise <laughs> that you wouldn't expect him to make those kind of errors. But there you have it. Now, you've lately been doing some pretty cool things out there in Philadelphia, one of which is you got married. Yeah, although I didn't do that in Philadelphia. <laughs> well, you had to leave the state to get married. <laughs> yeah, that's how That's how good Pennsylvania is. Tell me um, how that works. So you got married and you went somewhere cool for a wedding. Is that correct? Yeah, we went to Connecticut where um, my wife, um, who posts as uh, Margid or Margid on the forums, is oh, uh, oh, you know, I think I knew. I'm not sure if I knew that was for your wife. Well, I know now. Okay, so yeah, so you guys go to Connecticut and got married. Yeah, and that was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long have you known her? Uh, I guess just over three years. Mm-hmm. And tell me how the wedding went. What was the the greatest mishap at your wedding? <laughs> um, okay, so this dude came to the wedding uh, that nobody really knew. He was the date of my mom's friend. So he was like three or four times removed from the actual wedding party. Um, but that didn't stop him from doing this. Uh, I was not at the dance floor at the time. I was in the other room at the at the bar, and then someone came in and was like, the final countdown's on. you got to come out. So I go out, and the final count, you know the song, the final count. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. an Arrested Development fan. You bet. I We slaved over the wedding playlist, so, like, um, a lot of these were my picks, and that was certainly one of them. So I was really excited. I go out there, and everyone's loving it. And this dude that no one even knows walks up and changes the song. Oh! <laughs> yeah, he does that. <laughs> that. That right there, Jeff, I think you got to throw down with him at that point. Oh, also, that same guy later in the night. <laughs> oh, man, I forgot. <laughs> Okay, so later that night, after the reception is over, we went to some bar, um, hang out for a little bit, and he's out out back on like this porch behind the bar uh, with a few other people, including my brother, 
And he sees this group of kids go by, which I guess included a couple black kids. And he turns to my brother and he says completely earnestly, do they have black people in every state? <laughs> That's awesome. You got so if if there's going to be like a romantic comedy about you and your wife and, and y'all getting married, this is the it sounds like the Zach Galifianakis character. <laughs> uh, no, because Zach Galifianakis is endearing. There's nothing endearing about this guy. He's not like the wacky, lovable comic. Yeah, you know what? He'd be, he's the real life equivalent, which is someone who actually doesn't turn out to have redeeming features. <laughs> and he's not like just bearded and awkward. He's just a jerk. Man, who turns off Final Countdown? That is insane. I know. I know. And he's uh, kind of like Cher or something. <laughs> into the playlist. Wow. Uh, so actually, that's not bad. If the worst thing, you didn't like forget your vows or accidentally knock your wife into a pool while she's in her wedding gown. Nothing like that happened. Something kind of like that happened, actually. <laughs> I'll do tell. Through shaking your head and warding me off. But I think <laughs> it. Wait, um, yeah, go ahead. On the way back from that bar, uh, we had a limo taking us to our hotel. And um, she was fairly intoxicated at the time. <laughs> and so she requested that the limo driver pull over so that she could purge herself a bit. Um, so she gets out of the car into this, like, ditch. And she just falls over into it. Um, and I get out of the car after her, and she won't get up. She says she wants to go to sleep there. She's covered in blood because she cut herself on something. It was pretty fantastic. But I didn't cause it, so... Wow, Jeff, that you you really brought the room down. That's terrible. <laughs> no, it's hilarious. It was like a rock star wedding. <laughs> Got back to the hotel, she's like covered in mud and blood and and uh carrying like an empty bottle of booze and a for some reason a jar of gold bond powder. And uh yeah, it was awesome. You know, okay, I guess I can't, yeah, I guess I can't decide is that terrible or awesome. Okay, I'll give you awesome. That is good. I, if, if you had stopped right there with her just covered in blood, mud, wanting to sleep in a ditch, uh, then I wouldn't have liked it. But yeah, you have to explain this eventually. <laughs> good. good. Oh yeah, because the cops came. That's what fun. Oh, and cops were involved. Wow, man, you're, I, yeah. you should get married more often because I want to come to one of your weddings. It was pretty crazy. Like, it, it did seem awful at the time, but once I, uh, the next day, with a little distance from it, while she was in the emergency room, <laughs> I uh, decided that it was best. You did not go to the emergency room. Your wife did not go to the emergency room the day after her wedding. Yeah, she did, actually. Um, we were having a, a post-wedding brunch, and we got there, and her mom was like, I'm taking you to the emergency room. <laughs> right, you just brought the room down again. So, okay, yeah, well, you, you have to move good. further That's to the cool. With just Say, say um, again, it was what? It was good because they sent her home with just a band-aid. It wasn't serious. It wasn't serious at all. Okay. Okay, good. Okay. You were you were scaring me a little bit there. So <laughs> you now. Good. Uh, all right. Now, how long ago was that? How long have you been married? Are you a, a newlywed still? That was uh, June, so just over six months. Okay. You're, you're at the, I guess, the cusp of no longer being newlyweds. But congratulations. That is awesome. Thank um, you. Now, you also, in 2010, so, someone posted that thread about what happened to you in 2010. You said something about your job situation. So, for your job, you are an IT dude for, uh, did you say they were nursery schools? Uh, uh preschools. It's, it's for a, I guess I probably shouldn't say the name. Right. But it's a, it's a franchise of preschools, uh, and I work 
for the corporate office in IT. So sometimes when you're working, you know, most of the time you said you're at the corporate office, but you, you told me earlier, sometimes when you're working, you have to go out to the preschools and you're having to, like, IT or troubleshoot or whatever, and there are small children underfoot. Is that correct? Yeah, it happens. I don't really do it so much anymore. Um, that's part of the reason that I uh, said in that thread that my work situation had improved. Um, but, yeah, I used to go to schools pretty frequently, and sometimes all of the classrooms where the kids actually are have computers in them, not all, but a lot, and uh, sometimes we would have to go out and fix them. So what will happen is you'll walk into the classroom, and if it's not nap time, you'll, uh, like, try to wade through the sea of kids over to the computer without them noticing. But then one of them will come over and start talking to you, and you're just, like, trying to hurry up and get out of there. Because then someone, then the second one will come, and once there's two, it, like, attracts the attention of the rest of them, and they all come over, and they start, like, grabbing your legs and arms and stuff. And uh, you sometimes have to walk out of the room with them almost literally hanging off of you. Uh, because, uh, yeah, it's pretty hard, apparently, to corral a room full of three-year-olds. I love that. So, so kids like you. Like, kids want to come over and see what you're doing. Well, I don't know if it's me or if it's just they want to know what's going on in general. But, um, <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely are curious about that kind of thing. So did you did you get a promotion or something, if I may ask? Uh, what? Uh, I haven't yet gotten an official promotion. I'm hoping to soon. But um, basically, I was working that kind of stuff and, like, fielding help desk calls. And then earlier this year, um, they started having me work more on um, the systems themselves and databases and stuff. And I've been working on rolling out a new database system for the schools to use. Um, and it's been going well, and it's pretty exciting, and it's definitely a lot better than, uh, <laughs> you know, going and fixing computers while kids hang off just fun the first couple of times. But it gets old. Well, good. Well, congratulations on that as well. Uh, now, you also, uh, in that same post, you mentioned something that surprises me, that you, up until now, did not have an HDTV, which makes me wonder... Have you been playing next-gen console system games in standard definition? Trying to. Um, What's the matter with you, Jeff? You're a computer dude. Like, you're like a tech-literate dude. That's, that's something that, like, housewives who don't know any better do. What, what's the matter with you? Okay, I guess I actually... I have used an HGTV in the past, because I used to live with a roommate who had one, but it wasn't mine. Uh, but then I did have, for a period of several years, a standard definition TV... I used to play uh, current-gen games. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is, like, if you if you haven't gotten accustomed to using an HDTV, it doesn't seem that bad, except for the part where, like, a third to a quarter of Xbox 360 games, you just can't read the text, um, which is a problem. But other than that, like, I played Fallout 3, I remember, vividly, it comes to mind. Um, on the SDTV, and, like, you know, it was fine. It was a little blurry and a little... I had to squint sometimes to read the stuff, but uh, it worked. So it when worked. you finally when you finally get your HDTV, what is the first game that you pop in to see how it looks? Uh, it was Red Dead Redemption, which um, really looked pretty stunning, I have to say. Yeah. And then immediately after, I did uh, Super Street Fighter 4 to get the 2D perspective, and that also looked pretty amazing. What was uh what was the first movie you popped in? 
Oh, jeez. I don't know. Do you have a Blu-ray driver? No, I don't. Ah, okay. Well, there you go. So, yeah, so it's probably... All right, well, when you get one, I'll be curious what the first movie is that you pop in to see in, in uh, Blu-ray. Is Blu-ray that great? I mean... I hate to tell you this, Jeff, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> it really... Uh, I, I get super spoiled. Yeah. So Netflix, you know, I watch so many things on instant play at Netflix, but I still have my uh, my mail, my subscription where they'll send you movies as well, just because, and I even, I'm a sucker and I pay the extra whatever, $5 a, a month, because I just, I, I want to be able to watch movies in Blu-ray when that's an option. So, yeah, I hate to tell you that because I don't want you to have to feel See, like... I got spoiled by the convenience of the instant play. Mm-hmm. Yep. To the point that, like, I have a one-disc subscription still, but, like, I keep the movies for six months, whether I watch them or not, because I just love the, the instant play so much. So I, I don't know if I'd even end up getting the series. Okay, well, keep telling yourself that, because uh, once, okay. once you see a movie in Blu-ray, yeah, it will spoil you. So then don't... Yeah, don't, don't go there. Uh. <laughs> None of my friends have PS3s, so... I haven't accidentally seen it. All right. Well, if you come out to L.A., don't let me show you a movie on Blu-ray. You don't You don't see that. <laughs> have you been to L.A.? When are you coming to L.A.? I've been to L.A. I don't have uh, plans to come out. Why would you come to L.A.? What were you doing out here? Uh, I went there two times. Uh, recently, I went there on vacation. I say it was like five years ago mm-hmm. um, with my family. And then, actually, I was there when I was... Maybe 12 or 13 years old, because my dad had um, won a contest uh, to have a screenplay that he'd written read by actors in front of directors and stuff. So I went out there with him for that. What was that? So your dad writes screenplays? Uh, yeah, he's written four screenplays, I think. Um, no produced ones. That's very uh, cool. Why does your dad do that? Is he is he a writer? Uh, he's not professional. Like... It was one of those deals where, like, he wanted to be a writer, and he got close a few times to selling things. Like, he sold a a teleplay once for a show called Shannon's Deal, which um, probably neither you nor anyone listening <laughs> remembers. But uh, this was in, like, 1990, and then, and then the show got canceled, like, before his script was produced. But, uh, Go ahead. Yeah, so, like, he had shopped screenplays around and stuff for a number of years. And then he sort of got to the point where he was like, I better start just trying to work on real jobs so he does it more as a passing thing. So when you're a kid, he wins a contest, and you guys all come to L.A. to see, is it like a table read or something of his... his It was like, alright, you're going to have to forgive me because I'm not too up on the terms, and I'm remembering this from 15 years ago or something. Um... But from what I remember, it was a room where a bunch of dudes were sitting around in, like, rows of chairs, and then there was, like, a semicircle of chairs at the front where a bunch of actors were sitting reading through the script. So, I don't know, maybe it was a table read, but sans table. Actually, yeah, a table, I, I've screwed up the terms, I misled you. A table read is, like, before you go in to rehearse something. Oh. Uh, you just get the actors sitting in a circle around a table. But it, so it sounds like what you had was uh, like a, a staged reading where... Yes, that's, I think that rings a bell. Uh-huh. 
Uh, and what what was that like as a kid? Like, did you you went and did, was it boring seeing your dad's screenplay read? Was it exciting? Uh, no, it was very exciting because I had read all of his screenplays, and so uh, it was really exciting. It sounds a little cheesy to use the phrase "come to life," but it was almost like seeing it come to life, even though it wasn't a movie or anything. But it was like I don't know. It was really cool, actually. It was really exciting for me. That's very cool. Uh, so, uh, were you guys here long? Did you do the? Uh, so, you've been here once with your dad when you were a kid. You came out here on a family vacation another time. Did you do all the touristy things? Like, did you go look at all the stars on Hollywood Boulevard on the yeah, sidewalk? Yeah, we did that. Okay. We hit uh, like Universal Studios the first time I was there, and yeah, touristy stuff like that mainly. I I really like uh, that city. Um, did Did you do the tram ride at Universal Studios? I did when I was the first time, and it was pretty traumatizing. <laughs> I, I've always thought that it's really cool to go on the tram ride and see the, the shark part. As a huge fan of Jaws, you know, where you see one of the mechanical sharks in the water. I, you know, it's a touristy thing, whatever, but I have always thought that that's a very cool thing to do. You know, I hadn't seen Jaws at the time um, because I was too young, or at least I guess my parents felt that. So I saw that part, and I didn't really, like, it didn't have the cool connection part for me, so it was just a terrifying shark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they also, you know, the tram ride, actually, there was a fire at Universal Studios a couple of years ago. I wonder, I think parts of the tram ride burned down. I, I presume since the shark is in the water, he's okay. But I remember there's a, there was like a, because the movie Earthquake, I think, was Universal, and there's like a there's like a fake earthquake where yeah, I remember that well. Yeah, and then there's the trick where the the thing goes through a tunnel that's a rotating tube, and you feel like you're leaning, which always yeah. like messes with your inner ear. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so uh, next time you come to L.A., uh, let me know. Don't do those crappy touristy things. Come over to my house, and I'll show you a movie in Blu-ray so that you'll feel obliged to buy a PS3. So so next time I come, come to L.A., instead of doing stuff, <laughs> instead of doing touristy stuff, I should sign up to have to buy something. Yes. <laughs> I want to convert you to Blu-ray. Uh, have, you gone to, have you gone to Disneyland? Disneyland is terrible, though. Don't go to Disneyland. I have been to Disney World. All right. I have not been to Disneyland. Uh, you mentioned table reading real quick. I just wanted to tell you one of the coolest things I've gotten to do as an actor, because uh, I came out here to L.A. Uh, 10, 12 years ago, whatever, to do the acting thing. And I've done a few fun things, but one of the coolest things I've ever done, and I forget how was I recruited for this. I think it was a casting director I'd worked for. Yeah, it was, it was like the, a casting director from a TV show who used me before. She was doing... Uh, I think it might have had some sort of a charity function, or, but it was an event where a bunch of actors go to a school where several kids who are in a, some sort of gifted writing program have written screenplays, or they're basically stage plays. They've written plays, and they want actors to get up there and act out the plays. So we just all show up, and, we're, and there's all these, little, these kids in the room, 
and they come up to us with these copies of their screenplays, and they give them to us, and they're like, okay, you're this character, and they show you in the cast list who you're reading. And uh, so you get, like, these four or five scripts from all these kids, and you read over them, for, you get a little time to read over them, and then you get up on stage and you act them out. And you're, you're holding the screenplay. You don't have it memorized, so it's not quite a table read. It's very active, and you're getting up and you're moving around. And it's all this stuff from the imaginations of these gifted kids at this school. Uh, and that, that was so much fun. And one of the really cool things I remember is I was an Arrested Development fan at the time. One of the other actors there with me was Tony Hale, who plays uh, oh, wow. Buster. And that got Jeff just to, I mean, just getting up there, getting to play with Tony Hale in the context of these scripts written by, you know, they were everywhere from like 8 to 12, these little kids. Um, was just one of the. I just felt so privileged That's to amazing. do that. It, it really was amazing, uh, and it was just just manic goofing around. Uh, so that was awesome. Sounds uh, fantastic. All right, I want to ask you about. We have the uh, game of the year voting threads. You have picked Fallout New Vegas and Din's Curse. Yes. So first of all, I'm assuming Fallout New Vegas actually works for you. Yeah, and, you know, it really, it's such a shame that you didn't get to enjoy that game, because it's so, it's such an incredible game, it's an amazing world that they built there, and it's like, uh, I mean, I, I always pay attention to your opinions on games, even if I don't always agree with them, because I feel like you understand them well, so, like, when you pan that game... Like, I liked what you said in the review about how, you you know, you keep hearing how good it is, but you didn't get to experience it. And that's totally valid, but it's just such a shame because it's like you, you were deprived of an amazing experience by, you know, crappy release day patches and stuff. And that's kind of how I feel. Like, I, I, I if it was a, a bad game, I wouldn't mind as much if it didn't yeah, work. I, like, if it was something like, you know, Splatterhouse or whatever, I'd be like, okay, fine, it doesn't work, no big deal. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, so did you play on the PC or on your 360? On the 360, and I've had, I mean, aside from the occasional, you know, clipping glitches or whatever, right. I've had you no know, problems with it. Yeah. Um, and is it true that the, the later parts of the game are better than the earlier parts? Like, is it, is it a game that gets better as it goes along? Um, I think so. I think it's sort of hits a plateau around when you first get to Vegas, and then it sort of stays at that level basically till the end of the game, I would say. Um, and it's a really... It's just, like... It's so... It's almost hard to put into words because there are so few games that actually get it right in this way. But, like, just the way you interact with the different factions in the game and the different people, the way... The world is constructed such that there's not just good guys and bad guys. The way, like, you can actually affect things in the world and you can actually make choices and you can actually, you know, do things that lead to an ending of the game that is along a scale of, of possibilities that's not just, um, you know, save the world or save the world but be a dick about it. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just so, so good. It sounds like one of those games, and I, I certainly know of games like this, that kind of raises the bar for everyone. It makes it a little harder to look at other games trying to do the same thing that fall short. 
Like, it sounds like Fallout New Vegas has maybe taken you to a place that you weren't at before you played it that might make it harder for other games. I've played a few RPGs that have accomplished similar things, like Gothic 2 is one. Um, Vampire, the Masquerade Bloodlines, Mm -hmm. uh, but just the good parts of it. Um, I mean, like, just those two. Like, it's so rare. And I'm really glad that it was such a huge hit, because usually those kinds of games tend to flop, I feel like, because they, they're kind of a little more demanding on the yeah. there. Um, so hopefully we'll see more willingness to do that kind of thing. And I'm so happy for Obsidian, too. I mean, it is, oh, it yes. is, as irked as I am that it doesn't work, I mean, Obsidian has been trying to do this kind of really just sophisticated, nuanced storytelling with, with choice and consequences and uh, they've just been plugging away at this for so long, and I'm so glad to see them get a commercial success. I, I mean, yeah. especially after uh, Troika, the other Obsidian. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I was really glad for that, and I did. I haven't played Alpha Protocol yet, but I hear that that's also pretty awesome. Too. It, it, so Alpha Protocol, I'm replaying it now for an article that I'm doing, and I, I. Uh, man, I, I, Alpha Protocol is not as ambitious as, as Fallout New Vegas. It's much more sort of focused and contained and gamey. Uh, and I just I love what they've done there uh, as well. But but a very different a- approach to that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't. Somehow I didn't hear about it until after Fallout New Vegas was out. Yeah. So I didn't have a chance to play. But I'm definitely uh, definitely going to pick it up, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, okay, and the other thing you picked uh, was Din's Curse. So tell me a little bit about why Din's Curse works for you. Oh, you know, I started a new character on Din's Curse today, mm-hmm. um, and I was struck all over again by just how much it gets right. I've been a fan of that sort of, um, well, not sort of, of roguelikes, um, you know, random generated dungeon crawl type games since sometime in the mid to late 90s. Um and Din's Curse is honestly my absolute favorite. It's just the way, like, you know, it's everything to do with the fact that as you, I'll use your phrase, um, the way the dungeons fight back, uh, as I think I'm putting it in review. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the way they evolve, the way villains in the dungeons, like, set up, um, strike teams to attack the town and send assassins after the villagers and uh, the way the monsters come in conflict with each other. Like, it's always something fresh. Like, you can roll up a new town in that game and just go into the dungeon and it's always going to be something interesting going on. Um, and even the ones that are like... And I also love the the way instead of having one massive like thousand level dungeon, it's yeah. you know, an infinitely long series of shorter dungeons because they each have a different character. You can tweak the difficulty and stuff. Some of the towns aren't don't have it that bad at all. Some of them you start and it's like they're immediately doomed. Um, but in any case, they're all... Every kind of town, whether you save the town or not, ultimately has an interesting um, gameplay experience to offer. So it's like constantly changing, but it's... <sighs> It's just so flexible, but the core rules are so solid that it, it never lets you down. I love that. You know, it occurs to me, Jeff, that Din's Curse does something that you rarely get in 
I was going to say in an action RPG, but I think in any RPG, in that it allows failure. Normally, when you die in an RPG, you just reload or you take an experience point hit. It's just a little bit of backwards yeah. movement. But here, you can actually fail and lose the town, and it's part of your progression because each town is self-contained. There are these smaller self-contained adventures, and that adventure could end badly. Yeah, um, I and, love that. And it took me some getting used to because it's, it's pretty jarringly different from the way games usually work. Yeah, exactly. The town dies, and you're like, okay, where's the reload button? Oh, there isn't. I failed that town, yeah. Yeah, and that, at first, you're sort of like, oh, man, i sorry I let you down, guys. But then eventually, you're just like, eh. <laughs> Next town, yeah. <laughs> and I came two levels, so it wasn't a complete loss. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and I got, a, I got a decent item out of the deal, so, so long. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, re- I really like that because it's like, it simultaneously raises and lowers the stakes because it lets him make the game um, a lot more challenging than I would normally want in a game uh, because it doesn't make you just butt your head against the challenge again and again and again. And it certainly doesn't make you start over when you when you fail something. It just is like, eh, you lost. So try again. Better luck next time. Yeah, and if you hate losing, dial the difficulty down. And if you like that challenge, dial it up. Like, I love that flexibility as well. Exactly right. Or you can even just feel like, uh, I feel like pushing myself a little bit more this time. And I love that you can tweak difficulty in different ways, um, yes. some of which that he's added post-release. That's the other thing. He's done an amazing amount of uh, post-release support for that game. It's incredible. Uh, now, did you grab Demon Wars yet? I haven't I haven't seen it I myself. It's still in beta. Right. As far as I know. Um, yeah, I, you know, I read... In the Din's Curse thread on quarter to three, I was reading about a uh, trickster weapon master build that people playing with and enjoying. So I was like, oh, I'll make one of those, and that's why I picked it up again today. And then I saw that the expansion was available in beta, but I like, I didn't want to add another new class until I messed around with this class. So I'll probably wait till that's actually released. Yeah, because I know, too, once I start jumping in, I'm probably going to, it's going to be like, I'm going to just glut myself on Din's Curse. So I'm kind of like you, like, I, you know, I'll wait for the actual release, and then I'll just dive in and do nothing else for two weeks. Uh, it's also definitely a game that, like, you can finally stop playing and put away, and then if it just strikes you one day to to just jump in and play Din's Curse for, like, an hour, it ends up being the only game you play for, like, a month. Right, right. It's, it's, it's definitely, like, it's almost got that one more turn feel that, like, games with long turns like uh, Civilization have. Only instead of a turn, it's like the whole te- the whole adventure that is a town. Yeah, it, so it's not even like ten minutes, it's like two hours. And you're just like, oh, I can play one more two-hour stretch. And that level of pacing isn't something that many RPGs really have. I mean, I, actually, I guess that's part of an, a good action RPG, is it does let you just play in smaller slices, I suppose. Uh, to a point, but I don't know of any that have done it as well yes yeah well that's yeah exactly because they're definite they're they're recurring end points like there's there's always like a goal like can i save this town or lose this town like it's definitely divided into these cool discrete chunks that have some conclusion uh yeah and that does that definitely does have like a sort of turn-based feel yeah i want to play it now (laughs) well before you go play it so I'm curious then, when I ask you, Jeff, okay, what game do you want to talk about? What's the, what's, you know, what, what's the thing, if you can chat for however long about any game in the world, what would you pick? Why on earth do you pick 
just another platformer. So your choice was Psychonauts. Isn't that that's just another one that's like jumping puzzle platformers like Super Mario, right? Pretty much. Um, basically, all you do in Psychonauts is you run around, jump on guys. You collect uh, coins. You, like I'm guessing you collect coins or something. Collect uh, coins <laughs> and stars, and then at the end you save. <laughs> now, so the thing that I'm interested about hearing from you in terms of Psychonauts is that I, and I, I, I I'm not proud of this. I've never played Psychonauts. Um, when it first came out, I, I played a little bit of the first level, and I knew that it was a collaboration between Eric Wolpaw and Tim Schafer, and I was really psyched to, to dig into it. And I never got around to it, so I kind of think of it as one of those gaps in my cultural knowledge, like having never seen Wizard of Oz or never been to New York. I've never played Psychonauts. Um, so You've never been to New York? I have not. No, I've never been to New York, and I've never seen Wizard of Oz, so, uh, yeah. And I've never played Psychonauts. So you can help me with one of those three things today. Right. Well, you just play Psychonauts. Well, First of all, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this, but it's available as a download on your Xbox 360 right now. So you could go play it today. Okay, well, now, wait a minute. So it was developed for the Xbox One, and yeah. for the longest time it was not backwards compatible. Isn't that correct? Uh, I think that is correct. But, but now it's a downloadable, you can download it on the 360? Yeah, it's one of those Xbox originals that they put out along with. It seems like kind of an odd pick, because most of them are things like um, like Jade Empire's one. I think probably the first two Halo's are. But um, Psychonauts is a pretty low-profile game, since it sold about 15 bucks. Um, but they put it on there, yeah. Like and recently, or has it been available for a while? Yeah, for at least a couple of years. Wow. Okay. So, well, and it's also on the it's on the PC as well, isn't it, or is it? They did release a PC version uh, at the time. So what I seem to remember is that they developed it for the Xbox, and then someone ported it to the PC and the PS2. So the Xbox version, from what I have heard, it's the only one I've played. But what I've heard is that the Xbox version is superior. Okay. Uh, I actually did not know it was that readily accessible. Uh, yeah. Okay. So. You have no excuses. You're right. Good point. So now, why should I play it? What makes Psychonauts more than just another run around and jump on Koopas game? Okay. Um, a couple of things. Uh, and I'm going to relate them to a couple of games that you have played. That I, yeah, that I remember that you played. Um, first of all, the obvious comparisons to um, Brutal Legend, which I think was your best game of last year. Absolutely. Right? Yep, absolutely. Um, it has a very similar way of... Well, first of all, the writing style is obviously very similar. But it has a very similar way of developing um, its characters and making you care about them in a way that games don't usually do. Um, because they're sort of, I would say, somewhat less archetypal and more human. Um and I think it's true in both games, but I think they're actually better in Psychonauts for the other reason that Psychonauts is so good, which is the level design, which I think is sort of under-discussed. Um, so hold that thought on the level design. I want to hear more about the characters. Who is the main character in Psychonauts? It's like a little uh, kid, right? Yeah, it's a kid. Most of the... Well, okay. the main character is a kid. His name is Rasputin. Um, he is, I would say, a somewhat 
gifted psychic um, who runs away from his family uh, circus to join a psychic kid's date. Um, what happens in the game is he gets there, the counselors are like, well, you can't stay here. And they call his parents, and dad's going to come pick him up the next day. I think the next day. Um, and then he has all these adventures in between. Uh, so it's... In addition to... Like, it hits on a lot of levels, because it's really a game for adults about childhood in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so it puts you in the shoes of this kid who... Um, is in a bizarre situation of, of, you know, being part of a circus to begin with, but then he's got this these psychic abilities, and his dad hates psychics, um, and there's a curse on his family and stuff. But he's, like, dealing with that, and he wants to fit in with the other psychic kids, but they don't all really accept him and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's an interesting character to sort of uh, get a handle on. Mm-hmm. But the other characters in the game are uh, just as interesting because uh, Psychonauts really gives you an insight into them in a way that I don't think any other game, no other game I've played even comes close to because of the level design. Okay. Is it, is it okay now to talk about level So the level design is it's based on going inside different people's heads, is that correct? Yeah, and the game that's... Um, the game that it's most similar to, in my opinion, level design-wise, is uh, Painkiller. Whoa! Whoa, you can't drop that bomb on me. I'm dropping <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, th- so, okay. Hear me out. No, um, I can't wait to. This, that's, wow, Jeff. Okay, you know, you know what buttons to push. Nice work. Yeah, thanks. I've been planning that line for a year and a half. <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, Painkiller, as I'm sure you'll remember is a game where the levels are very, very meticulously sculpted uh, to get across a certain thing. And in Painkiller, it's mostly uh, like a feeling that it's trying to evoke. So, like, there's an asylum level where everything's just so, so that there's so that the enemies are, like, twisted war mental patients, and there's this, this and that other touch, and there's an opera house where everything's, you know, evocative of that same, that sensation. So... Psychonauts takes, I think, a somewhat similar approach, but it does it with a view towards developing the characters, since each level of Psychonauts is a character in the game, since you actually go into their psyche. Um, So, like, uh, a good example is this. When you learn the levitation power, you go into a level that's basically training for it, and it's one of the camp counselor's minds, which is like, the first third of the game are all the camp counselors' brains. Um, so she's this, like, flighty, uh, like, sexy super spy type lady. Um, and you go in, and it's like uh, like a disco-type level, and everyone's floating around on their levitation balls and racing and stuff and having a great time. And it's like there's this dance music playing and stuff, so she's this... So the level is as bubbly and, and personable as she is. But then, as you explore the level a little bit more, you get to this, like, secret room that she's got sort of cordoned off from the rest of it, which is a nursery that's, like, um, got an empty crib and it's on fire. 
and then you find the uh, the uh, sorry, I'll backtrack a little bit. The other thing about Psychonauts is each level has a couple items you can find that are basically slideshows of memories of important events in that character's life. Mm-hmm. And then after you discover this this nursery, you can find this thing that um, details how she was pregnant and lost her her child. That's kind um, of, that's like heavy stuff. It is heavy stuff, and it's like there's that, and then you come back out, and she basically voices over like, "Oh, you don't want to go in there. That's no fun." And back to the party, and it's like so it gets across that this is, you know, her fun-loving personality is a veneer that's covering this right, right, hidden pain, and it's like almost every level gives you that kind of insight into the character that you're that you're playing through the mind of. Because well, I was going to ask, are these great characters, are they just in the cutscenes? But it sounds like obviously not. Uh... No, and that's the thing, because cutscenes... Like, I really think of Psychonauts as a game that uh, really leverages the medium to tell its story in a way that that you couldn't do in a movie or a book. Because it's you experience these people's personalities, and you can't... You know, you can't do that in another medium. And um, in most games, you are limited to the cutscenes, and it's like, however good a cutscene is going to be, it's a cutscene. It's a mini-movie within a game, and it's not, you know, part of the game itself. Whereas in Psychonauts, and like I said, I don't know of any other game that does it this way, but in Psychonauts, it's like the storytelling and the characters are right there. You play through them. They are the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is... Tell me about how Psychonauts works just on a gameplay level as as a platformer. Okay. I will preface this by saying that a lot of people... Similar thing happened with Brutal Legend, actually, where a lot of people were like, oh, I love the story and the characters and the writing, but I don't like the gameplay. But I deal with it because everything else is so good. And that's fine, but I'm one of the people that actually does really appreciate Psychonauts on a gameplay level, too. Mm-hmm. So that. So how it works is this. Um, You basically go through the game, you collect new psychic powers every level or so. Um, There's like an overworld that's the summer camp itself, where you basically just run around. There's a couple um, monsters around. There's the other campers for you to talk to. Um, And you can, that's where you can collect the game's currency, which is called uh, Arrowheads. Um, but uh, in addition to running around that, which is kind of thin, you go into the levels. So each level, well, okay, the first third of the game is basically the training. Like I said, that's where you go into the counselor's levels. Mm -hmm. So each one's there to teach you a different skill. The first level's like basic platforming type stuff. The second level's to teach you about the shooting telepathic bolts out of your head ability. The third one's levitation and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, after you go through those, you get into sort of the real meat of the game where um, some other stuff happens and you have to go rescue kids and stuff. Um, but within each level, you're really looking at a different compartmentalized type of gameplay. So like uh, the second level, which is the shooting level, you're basically on this uh, cube that, if you think of it like a planet, so like the cube has the gravity so you can run around each side of it. Right. 
and sort of just targets and enemies pop up and you run around and, and jump on stuff and shoot them. And there's not really any other um, context for it because that's this guy's whole field is that he's being struck with this. But then some of the later levels are actually more like, uh, almost like adventure games where there's a couple enemies here and there, but you're mostly trying to figure out where I go for this, how I find the item to get to this area, that kind of stuff. So, and actually one of the levels that's um, a lot of people consider their favorite level is um, almost like uh, a 3D version of that old game Rampage, where you just <laughs> through a city and destroy it, pretty much. Um, so the gameplay is actually very varied, uh, which is neat because you have the same like suite of powers and abilities in each context, and they get applied differently based on the things you're trying to do in each level. I, I wonder, Jeff, if maybe that's one of the reasons that it didn't do well. Like if it if it if it never played as any like a, as one type of game like is it kind of I don't want to say confused but some people can like confused can sometimes be a synonym for varied uh, and I want I think that might be the case and I'll say this I don't really tend to like 3D platformers very much and I obviously love Psychonauts mm-hmm. so it could be and I've thought of this before that it's that I didn't have any real expectations. Um, the gameplay going into it. And I could definitely understand how someone who was used to playing, you know, the 3D Super Mario games, and Rush and Clank, and Jack and Baxter, and whoever else, um, I could definitely see someone like that picking up Psychonauts and not really knowing what to make of it, because when they get hit with a level that, like, doesn't have any enemies, and you're just right scooting around, learning how to levitate, or when you're trying to figure out how to get past the um, how to get past the uh, government spooks in the uh, paranoid schizophrenic level? Um, yeah, I could definitely see a platforming fan not really knowing what to make of that. Now, some sometimes when I hear people talk about uh, psychonauts, uh, I hear them mention a certain level and they tend to use the F word when talking about this level. And if I'm not mistaken, isn't there something that people that some people hate? called, is it the Meat Circus or something? Yeah, that's the last real level of the game. And it's it's not that it's that bad, it's that it is it's a huge difficulty spike. Like, the game Ah. is not really that challenging um, or the places that it is challenging are more, you know, that the challenge is figuring out a puzzle, not not in the actual platforming. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the last level and it like is twenty times as hard as the, <laughs> as the hardest other level, and um, yeah, it's really frustrating, and it's definitely one of the flaws of the game. Probably the game's pretty small, but and and that bugged you as well. Yeah, I mean, I was willing to get through it. Although honestly, I didn't even get through it until my second playthrough. Um, but I was willing to get through it because I wanted to get to the end of the game and see, you know, finally what happened. Mm-hmm. But um, I'll put it this way. If Psychonauts was just a game with game mechanics and none of the other trappings, and I got to that level, I would stop <laughs> and, and throw this out. Because that, it's not that it's, like, again, it's not that it's bad, but it's really, really hard. Right. And, and inappropriately so. 
Uh, now, now, what is the game progression like? So you mentioned these arrowheads. Are you buying anything or upgrading anything? Uh, yeah, you buy basically you can buy at the camp store um, a few different upgrades and a few different items. Um, they're mostly pretty extraneous. Like, well, just to give you an idea of how um, important the items are, the best item that you can buy with the arrowheads is the one that helps you find more arrowheads. Ah, right. So, it's not really crucial to the game or anything. It's a you collection. It's like a collection subsystem, kind of. Like a what? It's like the, a little collection subsystem. It's like a, a collectibles thing. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's some of the stuff is fairly useful. You can buy, eh, you can buy a thing that changes the color of your shots. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that's the thing is if you get invested in a game. Uh, then those sort of cosmetic things, I, I think, are a good payoff. Like in a game yeah, you don't exactly. care about, none of that matters. But in a game you care about, if you put in there the option to change the colors of your shots, I think that matters. Uh, I think that's the big secret to Fable's success, is there's all this incidental stuff you can tinker with that for those of us who are just in the gameplay don't care about. But if you're invested in your character, you care what yeah. he's wearing. So if you were really into Psychonauts, making your shots look red instead of blue... I think is a, a valid thing to do for a game designer. Yeah, I agree. And it, but but it's that kind of nicety rather than something that's part and parcel of the game. Uh, you mentioned something. What is what is the best level in Psychonauts? You mentioned a level that everybody loves. Uh, is that a level? Well, love? What's two, the, it's basically a contest between two of them. The one, the rampage type level I was talking about is called Lungfishopolis. That's one of the ones that people say is that a lot of people pick as their favorite. I would have to go with the other one that um, people love, which is the Milkman Conspiracy. Um, that one is about uh, you... Okay, so the second part of the game um, takes place at an asylum, or actually in the ground, on the grounds of an asylum. And you basically go through uh, four different insane people's lives. The first one is this milkman who's standing outside of the asylum trying to get in. Oh, I've heard of this level. Yeah, it's it's pretty famous, at least among the second fans. Um, you go in, basically, he's super paranoid. So, um, you... Uh, it takes place, like, in this twisty-turny web of suburbs that are, like, suspended in... in I don't want to say space, because it looks like space. But they're just sort of, like, there's a, re- a very unreal characteristic to it. But they're just suspended, and they're they're really windy, and you can fall off the map into nothingness. And, um, but there's, like, these trench-coated spies standing around, and they're watching everything, and it's, it's really, like I was saying before, it really gives you an insight in this guy. And it's interesting because he's not, like, a character in the game or anything. None of the asylum inmates are, in fact. They're just there, but you st- you know them inside and out by the time you get through their, their levels. And the Milkman Conspiracy is like, probably the best example of that. Now, do you see any continuity? Uh, obviously, I can see the continuity as you're talking uh, with Tim Schafer's other games, uh, Brutal Legend and Costume Quest. Uh, um, do you see any similarity with Portal? Because one of the things that's unique about Psychonauts is Tim Schafer was collaborating with Eric Wolpaw, who works at Valve, uh, 
and I think Eric's writing is a big part of what made Portal special. Um, and I know they were both recognized for their work on uh, Psychonauts. Do you see anywhere that you feel that Psychonauts is distinct from Tim Shaper's other works that perhaps is Eric Wolpaw's unique input? I think it's funnier. Um, I'm a big Eric Wolpaw fan, and when you play Psychonauts, you can definitely hear his voice mm-hmm. in a lot of the dialogue. Um, and I would say that Psychonauts is more like laugh out loud funny than either Legend or Austin Quest. But I think that in in terms of the direction the game is going, what it's trying to express, the way it's structured, um, the way the writing intermixes with the gameplay, it's more uh, it's more of a Tim Schafer brainchild in that it's much more similar to Brutal Legend than it is to something like Portal. Mm-hmm. And of course, here's a here's a really big question, Jeff. So if you get it. On the Xbox 360, uh, does it have achievements? I don't think so. What? You can't have oh. a game on the 360 without achievements. Are you serious? I don't think they added achievements. Well, it's not a 360 game. It's still the Xbox One. It's just that. Yeah, but you're playing it on the 360. Where's the achievements? Well, I don't think they added achievements to any of those, did they? No, I'm not playing it. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of sad. It, that's not true, but if that were true, that would be kind of sad. <laughs> it's, uh, I listened to some of your other podcasts. It seems like it's not too far off. <laughs> well, I was thinking of collecting those arrowheads, and I'm like, yeah, that would be cool. And you probably also got it. There's an achievement for it. So, yeah, of course, collect the arrowheads. <laughs> you know what? If someone sets up the fund for development of Psychonauts 2, that will be an achievement, I'm pretty sure. So. So why did so Psychonauts was always regarded as this widely overlooked classic? Uh, you know, we talked briefly about maybe it was because it was so varied and not such a focused single type of platforming gameplay. That was one of the problems. But otherwise, wh- why didn't this game do better? Do you do you think? Well, I think something I saw someone say on Quarter Three, and I have no idea who, but this was a long, long time ago, and it was actually related to a game called Voodoo Vince. Mm-hmm. Um, someone was trying to suss out why that game wasn't successful because it's, I mean, I don't know if you've played it, but I've played it. It seems confident to me. Um, not amazing, but confident. Mm-hmm. Uh, what this guy was saying, and I, it's rung true to me, was that it was not a success because the character wasn't a success and because with a platformer, specifically people... Um, really want that kind of iconic character like Mario or Sonic or even uh, Ratchet and Clank if those are names. Um, And you know, in Psychonauts, not only are you not really that kind of catchy guy, you're a human being that's not stylized. I mean, the art's stylized, but it's not like you're you're not an anthropomorphic animal like most platformers are. Um, It's not really appealing to side of kids who probably make up a lot of the platforming audience, and it's not immediately apparent what the game's about. So, I think it's just harder for people to pick up the box and say, yeah, I know what this is. This is in my comfort zone. Which, I think platforming more than a lot of other genres, people tend to want that. Right. Because I just think of uh, the guy, it's a, it's a kid with goggles, isn't it? Doesn't he have an aviator's helmet on or something? Uh, he has goggles and I wouldn't say an aviator. He has like a, 
I guess, yeah, like a weird hat. It's a little hard to tell because the graphics are pretty stylized. Right. But yeah, he's just like a kid with a big head and a wiry body and goggles. <laughs> and it's like, like, I think he has a lot of personality, but you have to play the game to know that. Right. And I definitely don't think that you can just look at the character design and have it pop with that sort of essence that people are looking for. Uh, did you play Costume Quest? Yeah, I love Costume Quest. And I imagine it's it's uh, like there are uh, a lot of points of continuity with Costume Quest as well. Yeah, I think so, because they both sort of celebrate childhood in a in a nostalgic way that is meant to be appreciated by adults. Mm-hmm. Um, Costume Quest is a little, well, not a little, it's a lot less um, sort of kooky with, with the leaps you have to take to understand what's going on. It's just that it's trick-or-treating. But it's more relatable in that way. But they definitely both are coming from that same kind of place, um, and in fact, I, when I was playing Costume Quest, it really reminded me of Psychonauts, and it, it made me want to play Psychonauts another time. <laughs> uh, when's the last time you played Psychonauts? You say you played through it twice. The second time you got through to the ending. What, was yeah, that the first, recent? The first time was when it came out. The second time was only last year, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was the downloaded version, um, and uh, yeah, so I guess a year and a half ago or so. So did it hold up well for a second playthrough, or did it... Well, it was even better than I remembered, because, like, I had forgotten some of the jokes, and um, and I had gotten to the last level the first time, so it's not like I only played the game half through and had a lot of new stuff to, to uncover. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I had forgot... You can't remember all of the lines of dialogue in a game like that, so I was uh, enjoying it very much a second time as... You know, it's like when you watch a movie for the first time in five or six years, um, you remember stuff as you see it that you really loved the first time. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny, Jeff, hearing you describe it because I really, really liked a... There was a fan trailer uh, that was set to the the soundtrack from the in, of the Inception trailer. <laughs> yeah, I remember and, and they put little bits from Psychonauts in there. And I guess I didn't appreciate that, that Psychonauts had that same kind of going into somebody's head thing. Oh, yeah, it's, it's absolutely the same. Uh, so that that's just so incredibly perfect. I mean, I just thought it was so charming and funny anyway, because I love the Inception trailer. I'm not a fan of the movie that much, but I love that trailer. That Inception trailer is awesome. And seeing that put to the Psychonauts visuals, that must have been so perfect to someone yeah. who played Psychonauts. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> All right, well, okay, you've, uh, even though it doesn't have achievements, you've certainly uh, piqued my curiosity. Uh, you know, I've also never played uh, Grim Fandango. Have you played that? I never have. I could never really get into those old-type adventure games yeah. because if I, can't if I can't figure out what to do <laughs> I, and there's not, like, gameplay besides figuring out what to do, I just get tired of it. That really is kind of the a staple of those of those old adventure games is sitting there having to figure out what to do instead of playing a game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or sitting there with a walkthrough. Right. While someone walks you through literally every step of playing a game, and it's like, why well, play? But I did actually, um, at an old job I used to have that was slow enough that people could play video games, um, a co-worker was playing for Nintendo, so I got to hear some snippets of of it, and it 
It was funny, at least. Right. And if it's not a game that I would probably enjoy. Uh, what about all the way back to Full Throttle? I attempted to play Full Throttle once when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and because I couldn't figure out anything to do, I basically kept uh, attempting to trigger the combat in the game. <laughs> so, uh, where you just try to knock somebody off a motorcycle. I probably did that about 15 times. And then, and then so you... I bought a... Uh, I guess I was like 14 years old, and I bought like a... Um, combo pack of LucasArts Adventures that had, like, all the Monkey Islands, Full Throttle, The Dig. It was, like, 12 games, and I didn't like any of them. <laughs> oh, it was Adventure Games plus Dark Forces. That's the one I liked. The Star Wars. <laughs> That's an odd bundle. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was, like, every LucasArts, LucasArts game. Um, uh, I kind of feel bad saying this, so don't tell anyone I'm saying this, Jeff, but... I, I'm kind of glad that adventure games are dead. I mean, I just that whole oh. genre never really worked for me that well, and I, I always felt a small amount of guilt because I know there was some great work that went into them. But even like the Monkey Islands, I've I've never played those. I just it, it doesn't really work for me. Yeah, it's like, I mean, the best ones are the ones that you know, like like Grim Fandango, that like the writing's good, and uh, like an adventure game is a success. If the writing is good enough to make you stick with the game, you don't know it. All right. Well, I'm. I'm. Uh, I might, as soon as we finish recording, go in there and download Psychonauts. I'm not saying I will, but I oh, might. Because I've been waiting eight years or something to find out. You're sure it doesn't have achievements? How can they? Come on, Microsoft is not going to allow them. Microsoft can't... You can't play a game on the 360 that doesn't have achievements. You're positive about that? I'm pretty sure... um, What you could do is... um, Download Psychonauts, Mm -hmm. and then also download uh, some crappy XBLA game that it's easy to get the achievements on. (laughs) And then... Like, you know, one of those product time ones, like Yardis. And then... Get the achievements for that, and then pretend they work. I see. Good, good. I like your way of thinking. Okay. <laughs> uh, do you know offhand uh, what it costs to download? Like how many space bucks it is? Do you know? Uh, when I bought it, it was however many space bucks equals twenty. Okay. Good. So I don't know if that's drops. Probably. All right. Well, now Jeff, I am going to ask you before we go right now. A completely random question that has nothing whatsoever to do with anything that we've talked about. And, in fact, is kind of stupid. Okay. And I don't know where this... This is just... It's random. So here you go. You ready for this? Hit me. What's the best letter of the alphabet? <sighs> That's a tough one. Um, I'm going to say... I'm torn between K, V, and Q. But I'm going to go with K. Now, is this a Scrabble scoring thing? Why did you pick those? No, they're just... Well, Q is the first one that came to mind, but I'm not sure why. And I like the way V and K look. They're very angular. Mm-hmm. I usually, like, if, if I have a choice of how to spell a name... Between C and K, I'll usually go for K. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, it's good. It's like makes me think of Vikings. That is <laughs> Great, but what was your final pick? The Q? K. Oh, the K. The K. Okay. All right. Uh, K doesn't like. Isn't isn't the K superfluous? We don't need it. We have a C. It can be either soft or hard. Would, no, the C is superfluous. My a K can't be soft though. Oh, because the C can be an S. S. So like the C is oh. work of two other ones. Right. Anytime a C is there, it could be replaced with an S or a K. I think you're on. So it's something. sufficient, but like you don't know. Like if we only had the letter C, you wouldn't know how to use this. That's so, a, yeah, yeah. I think you're on to something. The S and the K and drop the C. Right. Right. Good. All right, it's okay. I, I, I like that. Uh, all right, so uh, your pick is a K. Pardon? What's your letter? That you oh, good Lord. I didn't know I was going to be. Uh, let's see. My, uh, the best letter of the alphabet. Well, see, I'm inclined to go with, like, the like obviously, isn't the, the S the most commonly used? Like, if, if you were to look at what letter occurs most often, for some reason I want to say I've seen this somewhere, and I think the S... Is the one I would I would take the, the easy most common consonant. Oh, you're right, because the vowels. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take the easy answer and just go with S. Uh, I like the sound yeah, of it. It's a good I, pick. It's versatile. Yeah, but it's kind of like the easy pick. Like I feel like people will think less of me if they know that's the one that I picked. No, because I mean it's a good letter. There's a lot you can do with it. You can make sounds with it. You can pluralize anything. If you can only have one letter, I think S. <laughs> and aesthetically, like, it's got a whole sort of curly cue, ornate-looking thing going. Uh, yeah, it's fancy, yet symmetrical. You can put, when you when you do an S, you can put yourself into it. Like, as to how sloppy or neat you make it. Uh, you, you know, you can you can curve wide with it. You can make it sort of tighter, yes. more compact. I think you can put a lot of personality. Plus, the cursive S gives you, like, an entirely different shape. Can you write in cursive? No, but I could write a cursive S thing. Isn't a cursive S like a triangle? Wait, I'm not... it's like a. It's kind of like a sailboat. Yeah, <laughs> that's beautiful, Jeff. It is a sailboat. You've just made me like the cursive S. Well, I'm definitely going with my pick then. Uh, the cursive K, by the way, I don't think I could ever figure it out because I have to. You know, my my last name has a K in it, so I'd have to end my signature with a K. And by the time I got to that, I was like, "What do I? What? How does the K work?" I just, yeah, I'm trying to draw one in the air right now, and I can't... It's insane. It doesn't... I Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can't do cursive as is, but I just remember always having fits with how to do that K at the end. Uh, yeah. All right, well, that is going to be a thread in everything else. What is the best letter, uh, letter of the alphabet? Uh, Jeff, you'll go into a drawing for free game along with anyone else who replies, and in your reply, if the third letter of your post... Is Jeff's favorite letter a K? You are, are eligible uh, for a free game. So there will be a drawing after a few weeks. Uh, Jeff, you're in there. Other people will be in there um, for a free game. So, all right. Well, uh, Jeff, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I've really appreciated this. It's it's cool to finally meet you. I've known you. Like, have you been with the forum for like all I don't know ten years or so? You how long have you been? No, uh, I think I joined in like 2003. Uh, you're one of those Johnny Come Latelys. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for hanging out with me. Uh, Happy New Year, by the way, to you. Uh, Happy New Year. Thank you, and, and tell your wife I said hello. And I'm here. <laughs> hey, was that her? Yes, that's me. Her. Hi. Oh, you've been there the whole time. How are you doing? <laughs> yes, I have. 
How do you feel about Jeff telling that story about your wedding? Isn't that terrible of him? Well, I actually shared it in the Secret Girl forum, um, so I'm I'm okay with it. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, because drinking is cool, kids. So. <laughs> no, now just so you know, there are no underage listeners here, so it's okay to talk about it. <laughs> now I'm worried about being a bad influence. <laughs> now, what is your favorite letter of the alphabet? M all the way. Oh, well, of course. I'm you know what? Why? that way. Jeff, why didn't we pick a J or a T? Listen to us. We're we're not championing our names. <laughs> I'm Jeff with a G anyway. Oh, are you really? Okay, yeah. talk about talk about superfluous. What Jeff with a G? I don't know. Ugh, that's so pretentious. Why don't you just spell your name like every other Jeff? Because Cause it gives me a quick index of how smart someone I'm meeting for the first time. <laughs> Whether or not they pronounce it G off. Yeah, <laughs> because a lot of people. It's not that common, but it's not so uncommon that you should never have encountered it. So people are like, how do you say your name? Is it go? <laughs> that, that's like, I don't know if you're ever reading something in Old English, but where you come across the word jail with G-A-O-L, like what an incredible speed bump that is to reading. Uh, and I'm the same way with anybody who spells their name Jeff with the, the G. Like, uh, I think Jeffrey Rush, the actor. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, it's like a speed bump for me. Whenever I'm reading and the word, the ancient English jail or Jeffrey with G, I just, I don't know what to do with that. It just, I get flummoxed. Um, You're lumping those together? Yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I didn't know you were there the whole time. So is it, uh, is, is Marge your actual name? Ma- Margaret. Margaret, okay. Uh, well, I'm sorry we excluded you the whole time. I would have, uh, I would have brought you in. And so it's awesome to meet you. Uh, it's nice to meet you, too. All right, so we have we have an M, a K, and an S as our as our favorite letters uh, on this podcast. This podcast was brought to you by the letters M, K, and S. So, all right, well, thanks for uh, hanging out. You guys, both of you, have a happy New Year. It's it's six months late, but like I said before, congratulations on being married. Uh, and I'm sorry that uh, the guy took off Final Countdown. That was terrible. <laughs> All right, guys, so uh, take care, and I'll be seeing you both around on the forum. See you there. Happy New Year.